It's currently 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. The date is Thursday, September 14th in the sixth year of the Age of Blood Forest, and you are listening to KBFR. This is Blood Forest Radio. Something has happened. Something monumental. Something that has never taken place before. Something that I, from my vantage point high above the city, never believed I would see. Something new and strange and wonderful. There is a ship. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it's going. But it is unmistakably a ship. It sits there on the horizon, not much more than a speck. Yet my informants in Outer Sunset Village ensure me that it's real, and it's there. It is moving southward across the water, just barely on the edge of sight. It has to be a ship, listeners. It wasn't there yesterday, and it probably won't be there tomorrow. But that doesn't matter. Because there is a ship. For years, we've searched for any indication that there are people living beyond the walls in the vast, devouring ocean of vegetation that is the Blood Forest. For years, there has been no sign, not a blip of radio noise, no travelers appearing out of the wilderness, nothing. For all we knew, we were alone. But now that long silence has finally been broken by this single ship on the horizon hovering just barely on the edge of sight. I don't need to tell you what this means. If there is a ship, there are people. If there are people, then there might be cities. If there are cities, well, maybe we're not as alone as we thought. All right, recently I received a letter from a concerned mother who would prefer to remain anonymous. She is disappointed in the amount of swearing that I use on this program, listeners. In fact, she says that my salty language violates FCC regulations. Well, guess what, lady? There is no FCC, and there are more important things to worry about than the mucus-nostriled brats that your vile genitalia have spawned. But fine, whatever. I understand that, occasionally, we in the media have a responsibility to set examples for our listeners. After all, they look to us for guidance, for inspiration, for a path that will lead them through their miserable, tiny lives. All right then, anonymous matron, just for you, for the rest of the night, I will not use any swear words. Except just one very long one to get it all out of my system.
Okay, that should do it. All swearing stops from here on out. Thank you for pointing out the error of my ways. Unnamed listener who I happen to know is named Winifred Devereaux. The mysterious ship that has appeared out of nowhere is currently approaching the Farallon Islands directly to the west of the city. Captain Squidwardo, that Squidward-looking mother-friender who owns the most seaworthy vessel in all of San Francisco Bay, in that it is seaworthy, is looking for volunteers to go and board the unknown ship. He urges all those who come along with him to be prepared for any eventuality. For example, if the mysterious inhabitants of the ship are friendly, then it would behoove you to bring gifts of fresh water, vegetables, personal electronic devices, and other such objects. If the inhabitants turn out to be hostile, then bring whatever weapons you can spare. And if the ship turns out to be entirely inhabited by corrupted zombies that feast on flesh and lurk in darkness like the gosh darn predator, then we have somehow stumbled into a Resident Evil game and there is no hope. Except if you're Chris Redfield, or a weird purple guy who stands in the corner and sells armaments. A number of stand-up paddleboarders, not willing to wait for Captain Squidwardo to crawl out of whatever tequila bottle he's lurking in, have begun the long trek out to the Farallons themselves. Of course, since the Farallons are jagged rocks in the middle of the ocean, battered by crushing waves and surrounded by the mating grounds of the local population of great white sharks, it is to be hoped that the stand-up paddleboarders will be drowned, crushed to death, or eaten. Good riddance. It's more than they deserve. By the way, a couple of weeks ago, I referred to a person or persons unknown who have been creating a giant pile of what, in order to protect sensitive ears, I will refer to as copies of Green Day's Breakout 1994 album just outside the wall next to my impenetrable fortress on Telegraph Hill. Well, let me tell you listeners, they have not ceased constructing their greasy sludge mound. And like most of Green Day's discography, that pile really stinks. Intern Tammy has complained about the mess to that fuddrucker Brad at the BFRB, whose mother, I am assured, is a classy lady who has been known to entertain many gentlemen, often six or seven times a night. Sorry, getting off topic here. Brad told Tammy that this was a civil matter, not a criminal one, and that the offending item lies outside the wall and therefore outside Brad's jurisdiction. <laughs> All right, Brad, you say this is a civil case? Well, let me tell the cake sniffers who have turned my neighborhood into an impenetrable stinkhole that, if you do not cease adding to your foul creation, I will personally take steps to ensure that this civil matter becomes a criminal one. Do you understand me? I certainly hope you do, because I'm sure you don't want to get added to the pile. And now, the local community events calendar. Monday is all-you-can-possibly-consume night at Dave's Food Hole on Battery Street. Dave invites all of you to come, saying, Bring your appetites and leave your gag reflexes at home, because we'll have more food than can be easily described or imagined. Dave will be offering three different dishes, meat, vegetable, and miscellaneous. He also says that there will be no plates or utensils, so bring your own, or just use your hands. If you have no hands, Dave urges you to eat your food off the ground like a dog. Tuesday, the Community Event and Weapons Training Center at First and Howard is offering Salsa lessons. Whether these lessons will teach you to cook, 
dance or play salsa is not stated. Wednesday is the BFRB versus Bone Packed Militia charity soccer game. The BFRB is taking donations to benefit the Little Rainbows Orphanage, while the Bone Packed Militia is taking protection money. The event will last all day, and the rules are the same as every year. The goal has been hidden somewhere in the city, and the first one to find it and put a ball through it wins. On Thursday, the bird woman who lives by the 3rd Street Wall beneath the I-80 overpass is offering a bird exchange. Bring in your old birds and have them replaced with new ones, no questions asked. On Friday, San Francisco's premier nautical-themed children's entertainers, the Salty Seamen, will be having a free concert in front of the Ferry Building. They will be performing all of their greatest hits, including Scrape Me Barnacle Bottom, Down Under the Poop Deck, and their ever-popular finale, which they insist on calling a climax. She went down with her captain and every hand aboard. Anyone attending the Salty Seaman's concert is advised to dress in waterproof clothing, for as always, the first five rows will get wet. Saturday evening is the monthly glow-sick party at Cockatrice, the mythological creature-themed gay bar. Listeners are advised that, by glow sticks, we do not mean glowing sticks that one has found in the blood forest. We do not want a repeat of last month's debacle. And on Sunday, the Church of St. Jude will be having a big sale to raise funds for the repair of the church's organ, which will be a nice change of pace from all that weird post-apocalyptic nonsense. More news on the ship, listeners. I'm told that Captain Squidwardo and his hardy crew are approaching the ship, which is being carried quickly southward by the current towards Los Angeles and Mexico and the open Pacific beyond it, as the continent curves to the east and the ocean stretches away from there to Antarctica. The current is fast and strong, listeners, and there is little time to waste, because at any moment, the ship could be gone, and our only connection to the outside world cut away. Captain Squidwardo is sailing as he's never sailed before. His little vessel skips across the water towards the greater one, which, let me tell you, is very large. From what I hear, the ship is one of those super carriers that, in the before times, sailed the Pacific from China to Long Beach, carrying identical shipping crates filled with mass-produced goods. It is simply gigantic. I can only imagine what those intrepid, foolhardy volunteers must think as they approach the vessel, watch it grow steadily larger and larger, filling up the sky like some rust-red colossus floating mountain of steel and cheap consumer products blocking out the darkened horizon. Intern Tammy is telling me that they're hailing the ship as we speak. There is no response. Listeners, I am not a fearful man, but something about this ship fills me with an overpowering dread. cannot say what exactly it is that makes me feel this way. There is a ship, listeners, and I don't know what it might hold, what mysteries lie aboard it, what horrors lurk within. Captain Squidwardo is currently sending his nephew and a party of several volunteers to board the ship. He will not personally be taking part in the boarding party as he has a bad back, 
But my sources indicate that he sends his full support to the brave souls risking their lives for their city, and that he will be waiting there for them should they require a hasty retreat. Still no response. We'll see what happens, listeners. But first, let's go to the mailbox to answer some of your letters. Dear BFR man, I am a trained and doctorated scientist from the institution. Through instrumentation beyond understanding, I have compilated a list of subjecticals and prominences. Do not question it. It is flawlessly primed and fully calibrated with state-of-the-art technology. It came to me as I crossed my rug this morning. It was a new rug, and I was wearing new shoes, and feeling this, I knew that if I set out several kitchen appliances in alignment with the planets and imbued them with only the purest crystals of Anmot, that a minutely fractal pattern would form in the side of the toaster, and once decrypted, it would give me the answer. So I did that. It was easy, really. A man by the name of Kanada Steve had everything that I needed. And thus, I conclude through my own triangulationary theoreticals that these nightmares ominate, or ominously emanate, from a few central points in the blood forest, which I have dubbed the Spires. Good, isn't it? Scientifically, Dr. and then there's just a long smeared scribble. I don't know how to respond to this one. I just can't even right now. It might be the combination of the hangover, or the boredom, or the weird mole on my armpit that burns like acid. But all that I have to say is, well, good for you. Listeners, intern Tammy has informed me that the boarding party has returned safe and sound. Just like one of those old jokes... I'm here to report that there is good news and bad news. The good news is that none of the boarding party was harmed physically, although whether they are psychologically traumatized or not might very well be a matter of debate. Because there's some bad news. There's no one aboard that ship. No one living, at least. When the boarding party arrived on the deck of the vast cargo ship, which they discovered is a vessel flying the South Korean flag that bears a somewhat unusual name, SSB Wizard. They found no one. No people, no sounds of working machinery, no engine noise. The ship, dear listeners, was deserted. A ghost ship. In the old days, when crossing the ocean was a perilous prospect, filled with a constant danger of malnutrition, disease, piracy, mutiny, and sea serpents, you sometimes heard of ghost ships, where every man and woman aboard had died of something or other, leaving a fully functional ship floating on the open sea with no direction, no one to control its course. Sometimes other sailors stumbled on the ghost ship and found dozens, maybe hundreds of corpses aboard. Ghost ships were less a vehicle than a floating tomb. I can only imagine what those early mariners thought when they found ships stuffed with corpses like a can of sardines, filled with the stink of the dead and the gaping, ponderous silence that only exists in churches and graveyards. But here, aboard the good ship Bee Wizard, there is no sign of anyone dead or alive. No captain, no crew, 
no random Korean guy who has such a poor grasp of the English language that he thinks that Bee Wizard is an acceptable name for a cargo ship half the size of God. This isn't much of a surprise, I suppose. Mega ships like that usually only have a skeleton crew. Most of the actual work is done by machines and computers and the like, and they only need a couple of people on board to oversee the whole thing. And also, I assume, to prevent a robot uprising. But it wasn't the kind of thing that Nephew Squidwardo and his hardy crew were expecting. It was only after a long and protracted search that they found a navigation room with three corpses in it. You might expect that a room with three corpses in it would stink. That wasn't the case. The men on the ship had been dead for so long that all flesh and muscle and organs had rotted away, leaving them as leathery and fleshless as mummies, with skins stretched over their skulls like saran wrap over a bowling ball. If this were a movie, you would have expected to find some black box recording, a last log left by the captain that would shed some light on the tragedy of their deaths. And as it happens, there was a black box recording, but it was in Korean, and since none of the boarding party speaks Korean, they just left it alone. They filled up containers full of salvaged Levi's jeans and kitchen appliances, and set out for home, a little richer than when they had left, a little wiser, a little sadder. The crew of the Bee Wizard, as much as anyone else, were victims of the Blood Forest. It's true, the Blood Forest didn't personally devour their flesh and send its hideous tendrils through their skin to suck the juice from their bodies. But if the Blood Forest hadn't come to Earth, they wouldn't have died. Even if they never set eyes on the forest, it killed them as easily as if it had pointed a gun at them and pulled the trigger. But if the Blood Forest killed them, the weapon it used was the sea. We think of the Pacific as a vast blue space at the edge of a map, a vacuum that takes up half the surface of the planet. But history tells us this isn't so. In the 1600s, the main axis of world commerce was the Manila-Acapulco trade route. A war was fought over control of this ocean, a war that ended with the detonation of the most destructive weapon humanity has ever seen. And of course, the entire history of our planet would be different if a plucky, ragtag band of religious zealots hadn't accidentally crashed into a rock that blocked the way between them and China, a rock that today we call America. We've always needed the ocean. We need its resources, we need it to trade. Hell, we even need its waters to fight the blood forest. But it's sometimes easy to forget that while we need the ocean, it doesn't need us. It's a bit cliche to talk about the ocean this way. What secrets lurk in the briny depths? We know less about the ocean than the surface of the moon. Blah, 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 blah. But sometimes we have cliches for a reason. Sometimes they're true because the ocean is unknowable. The ocean is cruel. Somewhere across the sea, there might be human life, brave outposts of civilization that ring the ocean like diamonds in a great necklace. But we do not know that. We cannot know that. The far side of the ocean is, these days, as hidden to us as its deepest reaches. It's all a mystery, 
one that has no answer, one that we might not even know the question to ask in order to solve it. And remember, while the blood force has killed more people than the ocean has, the ocean has killed men and women for far, far longer. The ocean is the giver of life. What is given can easily be taken away. May calm winds and smooth seas guide you to your harbors tonight, San Francisco. And remember, I'm not saying goodbye. I'm just saying good night. Blood Forest Radio is written by Ian P. Johnson and Daniel Lindsley and performed by Ian P. Johnson. Music for Blood Forest Radio is provided by Tim and Derek Hammersley. Have a question or a comment that you want Ian to answer during the letter section? Send it in character to letters at bloodforestradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Like the show and want to help out? Rate us on iTunes or leave a review and follow us on Facebook. The fear of the day is thalassophobia the fear of the sea. 